Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, another special episode. And I'm delighted that today is the first time we're talking with an artist. I'm really, really pleased that we're joined today by Mariam Mabruk. Mariam is an artist from Egypt. She's based in Cairo. She has done some fascinating, fabulous work with and for Sepad pertaining to questions of identity, inclusion, exclusion, and gender. She has very excitedly done the cover for my forthcoming book with Cambridge, which I feel so honored about. And I'm delighted that she's joining us today to talk about her work. So Mariam, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, hi. yes, it's uh, amazing to be here. It's really exciting that you are here, Mariam. Um, Tell us a little bit about your art, please. And how did you get interested in art? You're based in Cairo, right? So, so what was it that, that drew you into, into the art scene? Well, for as long as I can remember, I've always loved art as an outlet. It's just a creative passion, something that I can do for myself and not for anyone else. Just, mm-hmm. It was my me time in a way. And then I always found beauty in Cairo because it's such a, a complicated city. It has so much urban lifestyle as well as like modern day skyscrapers. And it's kind of influenced by a lot of different cultures as well because we've had so many different people ruling us at different times that left their mark on the city. So whenever I'd, I'd see these things, I'd always feel inspired by it and maybe take a picture, maybe do a sketch. And then slowly I felt like I wanted to do more with that art. I just, I always knew that I had the talent for it and I would work on myself. I take a lot of art classes. I even studied it at university, but it was never enough. I always wanted to do something bigger, wanted to integrate art in all aspects of my life. And this is kind of where I'm at now, which I see my art as a tool or like a weapon in my tool belt in a way. And I see where I can use it and what things in my life, be that doing a gift for someone as painting or using it as therapy for myself when I need some me time or using it as a means to, to say something to use my voice in a way in society. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And having spent a lot of time looking at your work and talking with you about your work, it strikes me that there's a, a really strong sense of both the personal and the political in what it is that, that you're doing. Um, yes, I've always been kind of inspired by art that says something. So even when you look at old periods of art, I was never really into modernism or abstract art. I've always been into the periods of expressionism or war art. Everything that happened during traumatic times or times of change, I always found that art more compelling. And therefore, when I'm creating my own art, I want someone to look at it and actually feel something, Mm -hmm. not just be see something that is pleasing to the eye. And as I grew up um, and started becoming more invested in normal social or political issues around me, I realized 
how I couldn't detach myself when I'm doing my art. So I couldn't really um, do a very nice and happy painting of a field of flowers when in my day-to-day life I am very um, invested in the problem of the week, I would call it. So I always had to kind of express that problem in my art to feel like I've said something or I've done something about the thing that's on my mind. So my art was always very, very personal and never quite detached from from who I am and what I want to say. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. And in terms of the, the artists that you've been admiring then, I mean, you, you talked about the, the particular periods and the particular types of art that that spoke to you. Who were the, the, the artists that, that really inspired you, would you say? Oh, that's um, a tough question. But since I've mentioned the period of expressionism, um, there's a German artist called uh, Kirchner. He did um, art uh, in Germany um, during the expressionism period. My dates are a bit incorrect, but I think <laughs> it was sometime after World War II. Um, and his art was always around surrounding self-portraits. And he'd use very um, sickly colors. Like he'd always make his skin green or um, and the atmosphere in the picture itself when you'd look at it you can feel what he was feeling in the moment and also from Germany um, another thing that I love which was um, I don't know what the name of it is in English it's the Entartete Kunst which is the oh degenerate art during the Nazi period Mm -hmm. yes so this was one of the during my time at school, it was one of the things I was really invested in because I felt like the art that was made during that time and that was put in that collection that was people would, or like the ideology was trying to view it as something that is not to be seen, something that is not of high quality, had so much soul to it. And there was always a story to be told within the artworks. Yeah. So there wouldn't be any specific person from um, from like the 20th century artists that I would say had a personal impact on me, but it's more of the atmosphere and the, the ideas that were mm-hmm. going about during that time that I liked more. Sure, that's that's but really in modern yeah. day, yeah, in modern day times though, I definitely have some very specific artists that have inspired me though. Well, give us a couple um, of names then. Some, People to look at yes, for. Um, well, for one, Beheya Shib, the my go-to artist. She uh-huh. is a um, graffiti and calligraphy artist and a professor of art and design at the American University in Cairo. And her work just inspires me so much because it started out during the revolution in 2011. And it always had a very simple and clear message during the revolution, um, she did the A Thousand Times No series, and which basically was that she wrote the letter no in a thousand different ways in Arabic calligraphy that were found in different periods of time on different monuments and in different scriptures. But she would use them with a slogan. Um, so maybe no to military rule or no to... Uh, 
or no to no democracy, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very poetic. And she continued on her work abroad as well in terms of using a calligraphy slogan um, in countries where it applies to it more. So in each country, you should do a specific kind of slogan for the issue within that country and within the place that she's um, doing the artwork in. But she'd always use um, some uh, verse or quote from Arabic heritage. So it's kind of a way of interlinking um, her own heritage with the culture of uh, the West and and the global culture of the world. So this work you really inspired me in terms of how it shows her own personal views and her own personal message, but she adapts it to a wider audience. She adapts it to the everyday person that would walk in the street and see this artwork. That's really interesting to hear you say, because having looked at your work and people who want to to check it out can, can look at your Instagram page, which is Studio Mabruk, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well. But that sense of the everyday really comes out, I think, in, in the work that that you do, um, or at least my, my interpretation of the work that you do. So I wonder if you can talk us through some of some of those bits of work. You've done this wonderful series on on urban Cairo and the, the everyday there. So I wonder if you can just talk us through a little bit about that, please, and maybe how your your experience of the the revolution, the the twenty eleven uprisings, feeds into how you how you see Cairo. Um, yes, of course. So for me, I had a very um, out of the ordinary experience with art and revolution because they all kind of connect. Because my school was in the street that is in like right next to Tahrir Square. Mm. So during the revolution, I didn't really go to school for a year. We had online classes before online classes were a thing. <laughs> we had online assignments on on websites that I don't know if they even exist anymore. Um, and But still growing up in that area, I was exposed to so much revolutionary art on my day-to-day walk, like... Actually, the street of my school is the most famous street in Egypt for graffiti art. Sadly, this is not the case anymore, given um, yeah. how the current climate, uh, climate is in Egypt. Mm-hmm. But it was still for 12 years of my life, every single day, I see these, uh, these artworks. And also, my school was in, in, um, in downtown Cairo, and downtown Cairo, I would say, is where all of the history and culture of Cairo connects because you see a building that looks very, very Renaissance-esque and European with pillars. But at the same time, at the bottom floor, there's a very typical like Egyptian kiosk selling, uh, and next to it is like um, a vendor for, for Syrian food. And in front of it, there's a, a really beaded old motorcycle and a bin with a graffiti on it. And there are posters up on the wall of the latest election. And all of these elements combined together, I feel, make a very, very phenomenal composition. And it's something very, very simple, but 
looking at it just makes you feel in awe because of the different elements in it as well as the different colors. And one day I was um, I was in the the street of my school and I took a picture outside the window because I just thought this looks very pretty. And then mm. and I started taking more pictures and I like the composition more. But at the end of the day, the the pictures didn't really um, measure up to the feeling you get when you see those 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 tweets and those imagery. So I then decided I was feeling very, very uninspired in my art. And I decided to maybe take some inspiration from these pictures. And I did my first painting of one of those pictures that I've taken. And that's how kind of it was kind of like a rolling snowball effect. I just couldn't stop um, painting the streets and painting the beauty of in the details. It's the the license plate on on a car or how there, there there's a wagon that has a lot of random things in it. Um, you would find so many random items in the streets of Egypt. Things that uh, I can imagine, like one, there was a motorcycle that had a couch on the back of it and mm-hmm. two people. The, I, this is an actual thing that was seen. So it was one of those things that I I had to take a picture of and maybe one day I'll do a painting of. So it's, it's all of these little elements that got me inspired. And then they further on got... Um, developed into a place where I didn't just want to do pretty pictures of this mix of cultures and details, but I wanted to do something that has a bit more of a message to it. Because as beautiful as these streets are, uh, they are also a part of the problem within that I want to address in Egypt, within a lot of... um, social issues, political issues, lack of freedom issues, the list goes on. But if I want to say something about the problem, I can't just do pretty pictures I, of a street where without a story, without showing the problem, I guess. So yeah. my art kind of developed into not just highlighting the beauty of the street, but also bringing to the forefront the problem that exists there because I feel like not a lot of people can see it. Not a lot of people can, can know what it is about if because a lot of people are not aware because it's not in their, in their area or, or field. They don't follow social political issues or they're, it doesn't run or it's a problem that doesn't arise in their normal circle. And, but they would look at a pretty picture of a street. So it's kind of a way of bringing in the message with the aesthetic beauty to link it together. Well, I think you do that really well. The, the images are so powerful. They're so they're so vibrant. And on a sort of superficial level, you can look at it and think that's that's aesthetically beautiful. But then if you start scratching beneath that, I think you get out these tensions and, and looking at it through a sort of an urban politics or a spatial lens, you can really get a sense of the 
the flux, the interactions, the challenges, the structural violence in parts as well, which I think you, you do such a wonderful job of, of capturing all the while you paint a pretty picture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which is, is I think, is a, a really great thing to, to, to do, to have that sort of surface level. Here's a, a beautiful painting of, of Cairo, and then to have that, that deeper... Um, that deeper meaning that is right there and as you say speaks to to, to political issues and, and speaks to people who are looking at it which goes back to what you were saying earlier on about the art that inspired you some of the stuff that I've exactly I, I think really speaks to me the loudest of your work some of the the, um, the, the collages and some of the sculpting that you've done which is really really powerful and in particular you you won't be surprised to know that i wanted to talk a little bit about a piece called hanged which i think is one of my favorite pieces that that you've done it's such a a powerful evocative image of of figures that are sort of hanging above above flames and it's it's abstract but it's powerful and it's 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 a really really striking image i wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about what's going on there please well um the story of this uh this piece is actually um a bit different because it wasn't meant to be an artwork okay so as you can tell there there it was a piece of board, like just an MDF board that was left over in the art room and in school. And I used to spend a lot of time in school and in the art room, especially just in my free time and everything. So I was just looking at it and I was, I wanted to do some sort of 3D piece. I wanted to, to try out working with wires and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. So I started out doing this, one man wire and then I left it on the side and then went back to the collage and found a lot of um, fashion magazines that we had in like German fashion magazines left over and it showed so much of your typical late 90s early 2000s model fashion and how beauty should look and advertisement, which for me, and during that time, it was in 2019, was something so absurd and looking at how these were the social measures of then, yet these are also still some of the social measures that we see in the world today. And when I started to, to do the collage itself, I had just done the 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 newspapers first and i was looking at it and to me all i all i could see from the shape were flames so it kind of transformed into the idea of flames and how this this idea needs to burn or this idea needs to not exist with us anymore we should move more with the time and it was kind of questioning why are these um, social norms and social constructions and ideals from a very pretty very Western audience still occurring in in um, in Egypt today. Mm-hmm. Why are we holding ourselves to those beauty standards that 
shouldn't even apply to us. And when I went back to looking at the the iron uh, rod man that I had done, all I can see was the string coming out of it and how it feels like we're hanged, we're, we're, we're tied to these norms. They're not really benefiting us. We're not in the fire. We're not getting burned by them, but we're just above it, suspended in air, not really knowing how to measure up to these standards or, or, or these um, ways or th- those ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they still apply to us. And, and then that's how it kind of developed. So the, the first one that I did was the one that was hanging more or less by a noose. And then all the other ones that I added were just showing how you have different people at different levels. Like some, some people, these um, beauty standards or these social standards or social norms affect them more than others. And at the same time, two of the, 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 the figures are, are linked. So one is pulling the other one down. And it's kind of also showing how there's this herd mentality within society that everyone kind of gets pulled back into the fire and the flames of that thinking. And no, the one that was being pulled down is kind of trying to reach up as well. But so it was kind of an idea that developed on the spot. I didn't have an, an image or, or specific thing that I wanted to do when I started it out, but it's just, built up upon each other from um, an aesthetic point of view, like a, a lot of the the placements of things in it are to some extent to be aesthetically pleasing mm. and looking at uh, the diagonals of, of the, the picture itself. But at the same time, one of those things where as soon as I do a piece, I see a bigger image. So I do the next step and I see an even bigger image and the next step and just resolved into this well i love it i think it's such a powerful image and and hearing you reflect on it it yeah it it makes it even more powerful i think and it's the sort of thing that people can read into in lots of different ways with the sort of social pressures the structural violence that are sort of binding people up and and holding them hostage to to lots of different things so it's such a wonderful image but the, the final thing that I'd like to just talk about briefly, and I mentioned this in the intro, is a piece that you have done for the cover of my book. And I feel so lucky, so privileged that you've, you've done this. Um, it's a powerful piece called Entangled. And I, I can't wait for people to, to be able to see it and for people to be in awe of the the vibrancy, the terror, the intricacies, the complexities, the nuance that's that's at play in this. Uh, everyone that I've showed absolutely loves it. So, can you tell us a little bit about what you were trying to do with the with the the image, please? Well, when I started out with the image, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with it. I knew the title of the book yeah. and I knew and I knew what it would be um, talking about to a certain extent, what, what it would be discussing and uh, the regional conflicts and the regional dynamics and 
obviously having read your previous book and taken your modules, I've I've really gotten into reading about these regional dynamics. And so I understood I understood the problem, I guess, before coming into it. So I let that inspire me. And the one thing that was on my mind when I was starting this artwork was how a regional conflict between two countries affects the whole region and not just those two countries, but affects everyone and their neighbors, even more so than them. And that's how I kind of came to the idea of drawing a map of, of the Middle East or like, or the Swana region specifically mm. to see what it, to see what it would inspire because it is a problem that affects everyone in it in one shape or the other. I would say it's a problem that goes further and affects a, a lot of countries and people outside of the region as well. But the repercussions of the issue are seen in so many neighboring countries. And, um, and it's not just one issue or one country. So I started to draw many different maps on top of each other of all of the Swana region, but they're all just layered up on each other and started distorting them a bit. I'd flip them over or make them smaller or mm. um, in some places I would make the country that, or like I would make Saudi Arabia or Iran seem bigger than it actually is or country like Bahrain or Yemen bigger than it actually is. And I think the overlay was around maybe five maps on top of each other. So it then got to a point where you can't really see a map. Although, look, if I were to look at it, I might still be able to pinpoint where Egypt is mm -hmm. just because it's very, very squared. Um, but so that was the first initial thing that I did. And then I was looking into the color palette. Uh, this was the color palette that I knew I was going to work with in the beginning. Um, and it's very, it's a, there's a lot of contrast within the colors there. So I wanted to see how this contrast also highlights the conflict because it's not just that one side is one color and the other side is another color, but some of the borders or the countries within the borders and the map are a different color than the surroundings. So if it's purple, then there's a blue country or border in the middle because it shows also how there are countries that are so caught in the crossfire that they are isolated by the world around them. They can't really reach out to anyone to help them because they are stuck in the crossfire. And because at the end of the day, what is a country? It's, it's people and the people are the ones that are getting targeted and the ones that are actually suffering from everything that's happening. It's the normal citizen is the normal civilian I added the layer of um, those white figures that somehow could resemble um, humans or herds on each side which is but both of them are in the same color and drawn in the same way because it's showing at the end of the day the normal civilian is the same here as it's as there as everywhere but they're the ones that are crossed in the like that are caught in the crossfire of the bigger regional dynamics and the last detail would be um, orange and red highlights, which was a way to um, 
kind of aesthetically, for one, bring the picture together, but also to kind of showcase the confusion on top of it, that it, there's a lot to it. It's like um, if you have some yarn and it's all entangled up, it's not one plot line. It's not one story or one conflict, but rather an entanglement of so many different voices with so many different issues that seep into and leak into other aspects of life in a way. And it's, so, yeah. it's so a perfect, that's kind of the inspiration. I mean, it's perfect. It, it is a hugely powerful piece of art in its own right. But it also, it speaks to the themes of the book, which just very briefly are a, a spatial analysis of the rivalry between the Saudis and the Iranians that plays out in lots of different spaces, in lots of different ways, using lots of different types of resources, but with a particular focus on the role of agency within it. So what you've done with this is about as perfect as as I could possibly have imagined. So a, a huge thank you. And I, I absolutely love the, the piece that you've done. So thank you, Mariam. And thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and, and hearing more about the, the motivations behind your work and the way that um, the, the political is shaping your engagement with Cairo, how Cairo's shaping your engagement with art and the, the, the motivating factors for you doing what you're doing. So I'm gonna put a, a, a web page together that will accompany this podcast so people can look at the artists as they're reflecting on, on what it is that you have to say. But a huge thank you, Mariam. I've really, really enjoyed this today. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. It's been an honor doing this book for you, and it's an honor working with Stepad and being able to create so much work to accompany so very important topics. Well, thank you, Mariam. So you can check out her work on Instagram at Studio Mabruk. That's at Studio Mabruk. Uh, you can see her, her wonderful images there. You'll be able to check out this um, this on a web page that I'll put together for Sepad. You can check it out on the cover of my forthcoming book, but you'll also be able to see some of Mariam's art on on, um, on reports published by Sepad in the coming weeks. So thank you so much, Mariam. And as always, thank you to you for listening. Till next time.